When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. 50 years. It's been 50 plus years of real pain and real progress. And we need to understand this struggle, this fight of prosperity and progress mixed in with all the pain that comes along with achieving it or realizing it. And I think there's nothing better than going back over the course of history to talk about and understand what we've overcome. What we've overcome as a country as a nation, as an economy, and a market that has helped us truly enjoy the fruits of the strongest economy in the world with arguably the best equity markets for investors, for retirees, for the retire sooner cause than any other place in the world. So no matter what year you're talking about, if you're an investor, you're looking at your 401k there, whether this is in the 70s, 80s, 90s, today, tomorrow, next year, at some point, and very often as a, an investor, you will grab an electric fence at some point, and it'll happen a bunch. And that visual, think about that visual, oh, hurts, it's shocking, it doesn't feel good, painful down days. We go through really tough periods of time. Bear markets, 10% corrections, they hurt. Bear markets really hurt. Really bad bear markets down 30, 40%. They're, they're very difficult to power through. And you and I as investors, we're, we're no stranger. We're no stranger to the pain that happens in markets. Pictures in a given day, in a given day, you'll get a picture, market sells off one, one and a half percent. What do you get? You get pictures of bears, literal pictures of bears, like running out of the woods. That's a bear or a growling bear. You get pictures of Wall Street traders, in their jackets, whether they're blue or gray jackets or green. And by the way, they wear these floor jackets in these pictures on the New York Stock Exchange, which is now run 99% by computers, but they're still floor traders. But back when it was all humans doing the trading, or mostly humans, they wore them almost as team jerseys so they knew where each other were. It's so chaotic on the floor. Hey, but today, we get if you if today you're listening and you look at the stock market, it's down 1%, you're going to see a picture of a Wall Street trader with his head down, his hand clutching his hair, head down on the desk. It's been a terrible day, painful despair. And that's what it can feel like. Your retirement account down, let's say, 2% in a day. That happens. Ouch. A million dollar 401k, it's in stocks and the market's down a bunch. It could be down $20,000 that day. That hurts. That elicits some real pain and some negative emotion. But 
as we all know how to do, we try our best to keep our sights on the far off horizon into the future because tomorrow will be a better day. The horizon, that is what? Progress. Pain today, progress, if we're brave enough to stay invested with the belief that better days lie ahead for the companies that we invest in and receive dividends from. Progress in the United States, the economy, our stock market here, our own wealth building over time. That's what we're in this fight for. Welcome to the Retire Sooner podcast. Yes, all of this progress comes with some pain. That's the way it was designed. There's, there, no, there really is no progress without pain. Think about the gym, right? There is no progress without pain. Ironically, the last time I spent time on this, uh, this subject, and we're going to go through today what the United States looked like in each of the last five decades, briefly, we're not spending hours here. This is not a 201 history class that will bore you to sleep, but some of just the key highlights from each decade that shows just how we've made progress and dealt through pain to get where we are today. And the last time I did this was about three or four months before COVID, right before the world was changed and totally shut down for a period of time. Economic devastation ensued. The unemployment rate went to almost 15%. Businesses all over the United States closed. At one point, 50 million people, 50 million Americans weren't working because the state, their company had closed down for a COVID-related reason. Now, that was May and the real height of the pandemic. But imagine 50 million people in the United States not working because of the pandemic. More than a million people died of COVID during the pandemic. Tremendous pain. Tremendous pain. And we also saw, though, despite all of that, tremendous progress. The S&P 500, if you look at the January right before COVID hit to the end of 2022, so 20. 21, 22, three full years, S&P 500 was still up over that period of time, 25%. Grew a quarter of its entire value during that period of time. We also saw the 500 companies that make up the S&P 500. It's actually more like a 502, but let's call it the 500 largest, most representative companies in the United States. The S&P 500 raised their dividend payout over that difficult three-year period of time, from $500 billion to $563 billion. Dividend payouts, profits returned to you as shareholders or the shareholders of the S&P 500, up by over $60 billion during that painful period of time. Now, if you'd taken a snapshot, it would have been very painful to sit through it endure. From February to March of 2020, at the beginning of the pandemic, the stock market was down lost over a third of its value in a matter of about a month. It wasn't just Wall Street traders with their hands gripping their hair, heads down on the desk. It was almost anybody that's an investor in the United States. Scary. Are we going to ever reopen? Are we going to be able to come back? Are companies going to be able to make a profit again? Then we had a recovery. The pandemic really didn't go away as quickly as we thought it would. And then we were hit with hyperinflation. Fed raising interest rates, crushing stocks, crushing bonds. Yet, over that longer period of time, not just a 30-day snapshot, but a three-year snapshot, again, S&P 500 total return up 25% over that period of time. 
So let's go back a little further and look at what we've faced decade by decade. I think it's always helpful to look at watermark years, 1970, 1980, 1990, to see what we've overcome. And let's start with the 70s. That was a tough year. The Beatles broke up in 1970. Nationwide riots because of the Vietnam War, Kent State shootings, U.S. invasion of Cambodia. And by the way, inflation was running at almost 6% in 1970, set only to continue to get worse and worse and worse. The average house price in the United States, $23,000. The average income that year, $9,400. Back then in 1970, by the way, about half the world lived in poverty at that period of time, 3.7 billion people on the planet. Again, half living in extreme poverty. The U.S. population, just above 200 million people. S&P 500 was around 90, as in 9-0. That was the level of the S&P 500. Earnings, if you look through the whole S&P 500, about $38 collectively in profits for the S&P 500. And then, back then in 1970, dividends were about 3.5% to own stocks in the, in the general S&P 500. Now, by 1980, housing costs, as we fast forward an entire decade, by 1980, housing costs had nearly tripled. The cost of a new house, remember, was $23,000. Amazing to even think about that. Up to 68, almost $70,000. Interest rates were at 21%. Imagine your mortgage payment in 1980. Our relationship with Russia almost as bad as it is today. The U.S. boycotted the 1980 Olympics in Moscow. Think relations were terrible then, just like they're terrible now. 1980 also, that was the year Mount St. Helens erupted in Washington State, if you remember that. In September of 1980, Saddam Hussein invaded Western Iraq, sparking an almost decade-long war between Iran and Iraq. Over a million people were killed. However... By 1980, the global population, relative to 1970, went from 3.7 billion to 4.4 billion, almost a billion new people in the world. The U.S. population went from a little over 200 million to 226 million people. The S&P 500 went from 90 to 110, and then earnings on the S&P 500 grew from 38 bucks to 51. Progress, despite all that pain. I mean, the 80s were tough. Ronald Reagan was nearly assassinated. The Challenger disaster, I remember. If you were alive at that period of time, you were watching television, you remember like it was yesterday, I think it was in fifth grade, killing seven astronauts and a teacher on board. The AIDS epidemic in the United States. Stocks crashed nearly 25% in one day, October 19th, 1987. Yet, by 1990... There was still progress around the world. The global population grew to 5.3 billion people by 1990. U.S. was up to 248, almost 250 million. Remember, 1970, only about 200. S&P 500 had gone from 110 to 340, so it had tripled. And earnings on the S&P 500 stayed, believe it or not, over that course of that decade, relatively flat, from $51 collectively to right around 48. How could that possibly be the market up as interest rates moderated by the 19, early 1990s? The multiple, what, we, what investors were willing to pay for stocks had gone up, hence 
markets higher, even though earnings were similar. But the 90s filled, of course, with trouble. Trouble in the Middle East. Saddam Hussein moved into Kuwait. The U.S. and the U.K. ended up sending troops to the Middle East for Operation Desert Storm. Maybe the best news about 1990s, that's the year that The Simpsons started in the United States for the first time. But also in 1990, the U.S. hit a major recession, lost 2 million jobs in 1990. Housing prices had jumped from 68000 in 1980 to $231,000. With inflation still, even though it had gotten under control, still running at over 5%. During the 1990s, Bill Clinton, the president, Asian financial crisis, though, of 1997. We saw countries like Thailand and Indonesia, the Philippines, South Korea, have their currencies, their way of paying for things, fall between 30 and 80% during the Asian financial crisis. And their economic output of their GDP dropped by over 30% for a lot of those countries. Here in the U.S., 1999, we saw President Clinton face impeachment and a complete and total freakout for Y2K. And yet by the year 2000, first of all, Y2K was a non-event. Computers didn't go on strike. The world kept running. Global population had grown now to six over 6 billion people. U.S. population, 280 million people. S&P 500 had grown from 340 1,425 and earnings in the S&P 500 really took a leap from $48 total collectively for the S&P 500 to $85 for the group as a whole. And then we know what happened. Even though the year 2000 started on a good note, we got hit by a very, very difficult decade, starting with the dot-com crisis in early 2000. NASDAQ begins to crash, ultimately went down 80% trillions of dollars lost in economic value, an absolute tech wipeout, 9-11, terrorist attacks, U.S. to war in Afghanistan after that, Enron goes completely bust, wiped out all $17 billion, WorldCom totally bust, wiping out billions of dollars. That was all in the early 2000s. London subway bombings by 2005, late summer 2005, Hurricane Katrina, crush New Orleans, and then, to top that all off, in the latter part of the decade, we ran into the, the Great Financial Crisis, the closest thing we've seen to the Great Depression in modern times. That, coupled with the subprime housing crisis, real estate crisis, took the U.S. into another massive recession and massive stock market correction. This time, it was even worse than the dot-com crash in 2000. Yet, by 2010... The global population grew another 700 million people to 6.8 billion. The U.S. population went to over 300 million people. The S&P 500 did fall during that decade. Now, this doesn't count dividends, but went from 1425 to 1123. So you can imagine that's a difficult decade economically and for the market. But at the same time, and this is what should have given investors hope in 2010, earnings had grown from 85 bucks back in 2000 to over $100 collectively, $105 for the total earnings of the S&P 500, again, in the year 2010. Full disclosure, I am affiliated with Capital Investment Advisors, which is a full service and a fee-only financial planning and investment management firm 
in Atlanta and Denver and Tampa and Phoenix or wherever you are. And if you'd like to take your retirement planning or retire sooner journey to the next level, Capital Investment Advisors would love to help. You can find our team and schedule a time to chat right at yourwealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R wealth.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Where do we stand when it comes to all of this pain and progress in the year 2023? That global population now over 8 billion people. U.S. population, 336 million People, S&P 500 level back in 2010 was 1123. Today, hovering around 3,900. And earnings, again, the very foundation of equity markets, grew from 105 back in 2010 to over $200 for the S&P 500. Companies nearly doubled the amount of profit they were able to squeeze out over that 10 to 12 year period of time. And this my friends, is a half a century of progress. Despite all the pain, despite all the toil, despite all the anguish and the fear in America and around the world, global population from 1970 to today up well over 100%. Remember we talked about poverty, five and 10 back in 1970, globally living in extreme poverty. During that same period of time, the world went from Again, five out of 10 people living in poverty, like we said in 1970, extreme poverty, 50% of the globe, to less than one in 10 people living in poverty, extreme poverty. Massive wealth creation around the globe, not just here in the United States, lifting billions of people from poverty to sustainability. U.S. population, 1970, 203 million people. Today, 336 million people. So that's 65% growth in our population, the very engine of economic power, a growth rate that's around 1% per year. Not dramatic, but makes a big difference over five decades. And massively more productive is our GDP more than tripled during that period of time, even though population was only up 65%. And we also have room to run. If you look around the world, look at other countries and look at population density, so how jam-packed is a country? The United States has a lot of room to grow. If you look at population density per square kilometers, how the world measures this, we're at about 35. So the United States is around 35. China is 147. India, 412. Talk about a country just jam-packed relative to their geographic size. We've got some space here in the United States. Probably more importantly, an unlimited supply of oil and natural gas and clean water, much more important than all of the above. Something we've also seen, which is a first in over a half a century, 2023 was the first year in 60 years, really probably on record, but from the country of China, state officials giving this shocking statistic, the country of China shrank in population 
for the first time in 2022. At the end of 2022, there are 1.41 billion people living in China. That's a drop of almost 1 million people relative to the previous year. That's according to Beijing. That's according to Beijing's National Bureau of Statistics. That, of course, is hurting the economy. Where we're used to seeing the Chinese economy grow at 7, 8, 9, 10%. For the full year 2023, it'll be lucky to grow at 3%. Our progress is on the back of the imperfect but still best system on the planet, free market capitalism. Really the best path and the only path to true wealth creation and prosperity. China took another path, communism, dictatorship. And I have to look this up every time I talk about it because it's still hard to believe. I have to remind myself that this was a reality. That China limited the number of people you were allowed to have in your family. China's one-child policy. It started in 1979. Talk about the ultimate government overreach, the ultimate dictatorship move, telling you what size your family has to be. Hey, couples, if you want to have a family, it's fine, but you're only allowed to have one child. And they enforced it in, I would say, you can't, it's hard to even believe how they enforced this. There were financial penalties, so you'd get penalized financially if you had more than one child. If you exceeded the birth limit, mandatory sterilization if you went over the limit, abortions for families that didn't comply. Imagine that. And they even incentivized people that stuck to the one-child policy. There were financial incentives to do so. So they paid people to only have one child. That was in effect for 35 years. It was finally abandoned in 2015. Then the Chinese government nicely announced, oh, couples can have two children. <laughs> now they're dictating, well, you can have two now. But it's too late. Nearly four decades of cultural mandating of what your family size had to be has now left an entire 1.4 billion person country in population decline just due to the demographics that were created by that policy. Now China has an aging, very aging population. It's one of the oldest populations of the world. That leads to more people exiting the workforce than entering the workforce. That's devastating on economic growth and prosperity. On top of that, China has stepped up their dictatorship game during COVID, zero COVID policy, locking people in their homes, again, dictating people's personal freedoms. And now they have a population in decline and it's a rapidly decelerating economy and it's a poster child for what not to do when it comes to economic growth. Fundamentally, due to their, their sheer size of their population, China should have been, could have been by far and away the economic superpower of the world. In fact, they were, I remember a decade or so ago, China is going to overtake the world. The United States didn't happen. Instead, they, they doubled down on their draconian state. And from an investment perspective, we know that one of the most important pieces of the equation is for investors to have a growing economy. The tide needs to be rising, not falling. It's hard enough for companies to grow, let alone a population that's shrinking. And that's why population growth is so essential. Fortunately, here in the United States, we still have a growing population. 
Now, it's not tremendous, but we're still growing at around 1% per year. And that could accelerate if we update immigration policies. Maybe we start letting more people like we used to, like we were founded on here in the United States, more smart people wanting to be in this country, coming to the United States, growing the workforce, the labor force. One of the things that's lacking here, we don't have enough people to fill the job needs that we have. So population growth would do a lot to solve that in a lot of ways. And the reason I bring up this, this history lesson of pain, despite all of that pain to recognize it, all of the progress where the S&P 500 went from 90 to 3,900, where we went from earnings of 30 bucks to 200 plus dollars for the S&P 500, tremendous market progress along with our growing population. And it's one of the hallmark traits of a happy retiree, a hallmark trait of an early retiree is someone that is a rational optimist. We are fed and we are showered with fear and negativity and bad news. And that is the way of the world. That's where we live today. But the happy retiree, who's the rational optimist, understands if they were to take this pop quiz, is tomorrow, will America be A, good, B, great? Well, the answer is C. It's all of the above. It's not always going to be great, but it's going to be somewhere between good and great. And that's what we have to continue to remember if we want to end up on this making our journey to retire sooner actually be able to happen. Rarely have I ever seen anyone save, save, save their way to an early retirement. Saving is just part one. What completes that package is investing those same dollars. And if we can harness the power of companies in the United States, if we can be investors in our 401ks, in our 403bs, in our retirement plans, in our brokerage accounts, in what we save, if it is working for us and compounding it, 7% a year, that means money doubles every about 10. If we're growing at 10% a year, that means money doubles every about seven years or so. So the happy retiree and Americans that are able to be in a position to retire sooner, understand that it's going to be a, a long journey filled with speed bumps, filled with some pain to get to the ultimate place we all want to be. And that is to realize the progress that we're so fortunate to be right in the center of right here in the U.S.